Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. Today I would like to label my message with this, with these two words, somebody testify, somebody testify. Today's message is about a testimony, but before we dive into this message, I want to just briefly share with you that throughout the Word of God, the Bible has a lot to say about a testimony. Sometimes the word testimony may not mean what you and myself, what we think of when we say testimony. So if you travel back, the very first time testimony is mentioned in the Word of God is found in the book of Exodus, and it has to do with the ark of the testimony. And you know what the ark was. Now, I'm not speaking about Noah's ark. I'm speaking about the ark of the covenant that was used in the Old Testament by God, and he would release his power and his presence on that ark. And if they handled that ark in a certain way that didn't please God, God's judgment came. Then we read about in Exodus chapter 25 how another way testimony is used and it was used to summarize the two tablets of stone or the Ten Commandments that was placed inside of the ark. The Ten Commandments that God wrote on stone with His finger. Then in 2 Kings chapter 11 we read about how they referred to the law as the testimony of God. And that is the first five books of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Torah, the Pentateuch is referred to as the testimony of God. Then in Psalm 19 verse number 7 the Bible says that, that, that God's word is able to convert us. But it also says that His testimony is sure. So not only is, is, is the first five books of the Bible referred to as God's testimony, the Ten Commandments and the Ark, but the entirety of God's Word is referred to as God's testimony. Then in Mark, the Gospel of Mark chapter 6, we read about how Jesus told the disciples that, hey, you're going to go and you're going to share the news of, uh, of the Gospel with these folks and, and they're not going to receive it and you're just going to shake the dust off your feet and use it as a testimony. So here's the word, that, that testimony also reveals a factual truth. And here's the factual truth I believe that it's alluding to in Mark chapter 6, is that one day every boy, girl, man, and woman is going to stand before God and if they don't know Him as Savior, He is going to recall to their memory every time, every testimony of when somebody tried to share the good news of Jesus with them and invited them to church and tried to share the word of God with them. So I want you to know today, if you've ever tried to share the gospel with somebody, if you've ever invited somebody to church, I mean, how many times do we share the gospel with somebody and they say, no thanks, have a nice day? How many times you got the door slammed in your face when you're trying to share the gospel? How many times has somebody never came to church after they said, oh, I'll be there Sunday? Yeah, I'm still waiting on that Sunday eight years later. <laughs> but I want you to know this, that your work, your labor is not in vain because God is going to bring it to their mind as a testimony when they stand before Him. I also wrote down that it, 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 according to 1 Corinthians 2 and 2 Timothy 1, that testimony can also refer to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we know what the gospel is. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in simplicity. 
But then in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul wrote, he said this phrase, the testimony of our conscience. I believe the testimony of God is not just found in His Word. Not just found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I believe that God has placed on our hearts a conscience to bear testimony and witness and record that He is God and He loves us and He wants to spend eternity with us. Today I want to share a key statement that I just simply wrote down what a testimony is that I want to share with you in the context of my sermon. I wrote down this. A testimony is an oral or written record of how the gospel of Jesus Christ has changed your life. I'll say it one more time. A testimony is an oral or written record of how the gospel of Jesus Christ has changed your life. Now, time does not permit us today to go one by one on this side and one by one on this side and just share by word of testimony and record how Jesus has saved you and changed your life. We could spend all afternoon and maybe one Sunday we will. Maybe one Sunday I'll sit down and not preach and just let some of y'all share your testimony. And I believe that the Bible tells us that, that testimonies are very, very important. And we're going to get into all this in a few moments later. But, but hear me out today. A testimony, and that is a Christian testimony, is not somebody standing up and saying, huh, well, you know what I had last Sunday? I had a bowl of Cheerios for breakfast, and I went to Red Lobster for lunch after church. That's not what a testimony is. A testimony is simply sharing how you once were lost. And then the gospel of Jesus Christ impacted you in such a way that you bowed your knee and confessed with your mouth that you are, that he is Lord and that he is now Lord of your life. Today, I want to ask and answer this question. What does a Christian testimony do? And I want to give you three thoughts from this text. And I have a few other verses I want to share with you. But let's zoom in Acts chapter 22. If you go back to Acts chapter 9, you read about this testimony that took place. The actual historical event that Paul is alluding to and referring to in the 22nd chapter. And you know that the, the, the book of Acts is not about a certain character or a bunch of characters. It's about how God took these men and some of these women and how he used them to advance his gospel. That's what the book of Acts is all about. And here, may I share this with you today? God, there is no end to the book of Acts. I know there's a 28th chapter but just like some of the other books in the Bible, you know, there's a final amen and, and, a, and, and, and a saying of goodbye. But there is no goodbye to the book of Acts. And yes, I know this is referring to a time period of the early church. But listen, the book of Acts, in a sense, is still going on today because we are still part of the church and the history of the church. Now, with that in mind, I want to focus on the first nine verses that we read for just a few moments. And I wrote down three thoughts about a Christian testimony. Thought number one is this. A Christian testimony points people to the Son of God. A Christian testimony points people to the Son of God. If you ever have been to a testimony service where people just stand up and share testimonies, sometimes the testimonies are, are amazing. And sometimes, listen, honey... May I just share something with you? Sometimes they're not amazing. <laughs> um, but here's what I wanted to share with you. That whenever somebody stands up and shares a word of testimony about how they got saved, it should always point to Jesus Christ. 
May I, may I share that again? Whenever we share our testimony, it should point people to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. <laughs> if there is a testimony out there that's not pointing somebody to Jesus Christ, then it's not a testimony about somebody's salvation. It's another kind of testimony. In fact, the word testimony, it simply means to, to bear record or witness of an event that took place. That is the Webster's definition. And the Christian testimony is bearing record of how Jesus changed your life. And so I wrote down this thought as I was reading verses 1 through 9. A Christian testimony points people to the Son of God. Let's look at the verse 9 verses here. The Bible says, men and brethren. Now, now let me back up just a few moments here. The Apostle Paul, you know, he's out. He's done his missionary journeys. He had three of them, and God used him in a great way. A lot of his stuff was dealing with church planning and evangelizing, but there were occasions where he, he was at a place for a brief period of time, and he led a congregation. We believe he was at Corinth for perhaps one or two years, and he was the overseer of that flock for a period of time. But then in this chapter, and the chapter leading up to it, we see that he's recalling his conversion of how he came to know Jesus Christ. But here, he's being called to a group of people. And these, these people were Jewish. And perhaps some of them didn't realize he spoke Hebrew. And in verse number 39... Of chapter 21 the Bible says but Paul said I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus a city of Cilicia a citizen of no mean city and I beseech thee suffer me to speak unto this people and when he had given him license or permission Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people and when there was made a great silence he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying. Now the Bible tells us that when he began to speak in Hebrew, it captured his attention. Now if you know multiple languages and somebody, and you, somebody speaks in your native language and you didn't realize they knew your native language, well then you're going to perk up and listen a little bit more intentively. And that's what happened here. Look at verse 1 of 22. It says, My men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense which I make now unto you. So now he's sharing his defense of how he came to know Christ the Savior and why there is such a transformation in his life. And he says, in parentheses, the Holy Spirit put these words, And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence, and he saith, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. This is an individual who discipled him and mentored him. And the Bible says, And taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as you are this day. And verse number four says, I persecuted this way unto death. In other words, he's saying, I persecuted those who call themselves Christians. I took people who said Jesus was the Messiah, and I made sure they died a death. And sometimes it was not very... Nice. In fact, you can go back to the book, uh, you can go back to Acts chapter 7, and in Acts chapter 7, we read about old Stephen. And Stephen is there, he's preaching that sermon, and he pretty much summarizes the entire, the entire main points of the Old Testament, and he makes a beeline to the cross, and he says, you are the ones who took the Messiah and hung him on Calvary's cross. And then, they didn't like his message, <laughs> and they didn't take bananas, they didn't take oranges and rotten apples and throw at him. They took up these massive stones and literally stoned Stephen to death. 
Yeah, Stephen was a stoner <laughs> in a different sense. And he died a first martyr's death in the book of Acts. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 8 that Saul was consenting unto his death. In other words, Saul was the one who gave word to make sure this man named Stephen died because the message he preached. And here in verse 4, I'm sure as he's saying these words, how I persecuted unto this sin... I'm sure he's recalling to his mind how that there was a time when he hated Christians. There was a time when he hated Jesus. And he was on his way to Damascus to, to annihilate these Christians. And then he shares these words. He gives in verse 5, As also the high priest doth bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders. He says, All of you knew my life before. From whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound to Jerusalem for to be punished. Verse 6 says, And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell into the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he it says, and I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. Here, as I am rereading this and meditating on this, going back to Acts chapter 9. It's interesting how during Paul's testimony, he's speaking to these Jewish people, and he's pointing them to when Jesus first came into his life. And listen, that, that's what a testimony is all about. It's bearing record when Jesus came into your life. And so I wrote down this, I will point others to Christ because he changed my life. That's why we are called to tell people about Jesus. I will point others to Christ because he changed my life. May I just briefly share with you that in July 2005, I was 16 years of age. You listen, I grew up in church. You know my testimony, but I'm going to share it again for emphasis sake. I grew up going to church. I tell people I was on drugs growing up. I was drugged to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, and every other day when we had something going on. Often we were there. And I heard about all the stories in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And I heard about Jesus dying on the cross and how he rose again. And I knew about Easter. I knew about Christmas. I knew about all this different stuff. But, but it wasn't until July 2005 when I heard somebody preaching. And they talked about choosing between Barabbas and Jesus. And that Thursday at church camp, I didn't go forward. I didn't go up and pray with the preacher. I just... I couldn't go for it. The Holy Spirit was on me, and I just had to kneel down in my seat in the very, very back, and I said, God, I'm tired of playing church. Please save me and forgive me. And in that moment, Jesus stepped into my life and changed it for all eternity. And I know you have a day of salvation. I know you can think of a... You may, may not be able to name the exact day and the exact time, but I want you to know this, is that this week is an important week for me because I'm looking back years ago of when Jesus Christ stepped into my life and I had a hit-on collision with Him. And today, if you've never had on that hit-on collision, I want you to do so before it's eternally too late. And use your testimony to tell others about Jesus because God wants to use you to advance His gospel. 
You may not have a Damascus Road experience and, and walking down and, and see a bright blinding light and then your vision's gone for a few days and somebody else comes in and, and helps you and, and you get your sight back. You may not have that kind of testimony, but I tell you what you do have. You have a testimony that nobody else has and God wants you to use that testimony to tell others about him. I wrote on this, I will point others to Christ because he can change their life. You know, the same God that changed your life is the same God that can change somebody else's life. The same God that changed Saul to Paul is the same God that can change somebody else who's walking in the middle of Roanoke who needs Jesus. And I wrote down this, I will point others to Christ because he is the life. Remember what Jesus said? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Remember what he also said when Lazarus was dead? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he were dead, shall forever live. Believest thou this? What does a Christian testimony do? I wrote down, first of all, a Christian testimony points people to the Son of God. But may I share with you from verses 10 through 16 a second thought today? A Christian testimony points people to the Word of God. A Christian testimony points people to the Word of God. Time and time again, when Paul was, was, was going from one city to another city, he would go into the synagogue where the Jewish people were, and they would go in, and they would reason with them from the Scriptures, and they would tell them, hey, 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 this is Isaiah 53, and it's talking about the crucifixion of the Messiah, and you know who that might be talking about? Actually, it's not even might, it's not even a maybe, it's a, it's a matter of fact, that's talking about Jesus. You go to Psalm number 22, and it says, the psalmist said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Remember what Jesus said on the cross, the, the, the Jesus Christ, you know, the guy that you don't like, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So they went in and they went to these Old Testament passages and they pointed them to Jesus. They, they took the word of God and shared with them. You see, God's word is unlike any other word this wor world has ever heard and seen. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is so fascinating. And if you've never read it, you're missing out on the greatest historical record our world has ever observed. Now, I know you can go to to the Library of Congress, or you can go to some other big library, some other place in all the world. You can, you can see all these books. You can get them, listen, you can go get the Webster's Dictionary. You can read it for fun if you want to. You can go get the encyclopedia and read it all you want to. But I'm telling you, there's no novel, there's no nonfiction or fiction book that's ever been written that compares to this book right here. There's more manuscript evidence over the New Testament alone than any other document this world has ever seen. Just in the New Testament alone, we have over 5,000 manuscripts or fragments of, the, of the, uh, the, the Greek language that the Bible was originally written in. The, other, the only other document that come, comes, comes even close to this is, I understand, Homer's Iliad, and there's not even 200 of them. So if, if, if some other skeptic wants to come in and try to criticize this book, listen, there, there's no way. The only way somebody, there's so much evidence stacking for the Word of God, and, and this is not a sermon or, or time to say it, but, but I'm going to tell you something. The only way somebody would reject this book is because they don't want Jesus who wrote this book. And in this book, you know what we read? We read that the Bible says faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Paul said in Romans chapter 10. And as we read this next section of Paul's testimony, we observe how he pointed them and he was talking about how the word of God came to him. And look at verse 10. It says, And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. 
And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came to Damascus. And one Ananias, could you imagine being in Ananias' shoes? Imagine if you had word, if God gave you a word saying, let's just use me for example. Brian, I want you to go to this address in Germany and knock on this door because inside that house you're going to find a man named Adolf Hitler and I want you to minister to him because I have a great plan for him. <laughs> yeah, I may not want to go that way. Imagine if, 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 if we could go back in time and, 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 and God would, would say, Brian, I want you to go to this man's house. His name is Charles and his last name is Darwin. I have a great plan for him and I want you to minister to him. Well, we share all that because in a sense, Ananias received a word from God. Go see Saul. God... Um, you realize this is the Saul that is killing Christians, right? And he went. He was obedient. And it says he was a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dealt there. And verse number 13 says, Came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked up upon him and said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will and see, the just one, see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness. In other words, his testimony. Unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized. And wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When we ask Jesus Christ to become our Lord and Savior, instantly, in that moment, every sin that we've ever thought, said, or done, past, present, and future is wiped away. And we receive His grace. We receive His mercy. We receive His forgiveness, not His condemnation, not His judgment, not damnation. So I wrote down a few thoughts here. I will point others to God's Word because of its inspiration. The Bible is the inspired Word of God. Just as God breathed life into us so that we could live, God breathed life into this book right here. That's why you can take this book and you can place it anywhere in the world and it's going to receive criticism because the devil hates the Word of God and he's trying to silence it. But you know what my Bible says? You know what your Bible says? It says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. There's no amount of demonic spirit, oppression, possession, or anything out there like that that can annihilate and disintegrate the Word of God because it's already settled. I also wrote on this, I will point others to God's Word because it brings conviction. Hebrews says the Word of God is quick. In other words, it is alive. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing and dividing asunder the soul and spirit of the joint of marrow. Listen, God's word is what brings conviction. I also wrote on this, I will point others to God's word because it produces transformation. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 talk about that, how when we know Christ as Savior, we will not be conformed to this world, but we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can perfect and complete God's holy will. What does a Christian testimony do? 
A Christian testimony, first of all, points people to the Son of God. Secondly, a Christian testimony points people to the Word of God. But may I share with you, thirdly, a Christian testimony points people to the power of God. A Christian testimony points people to the power of God. Look at verses 17 down to verse 22. And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. And saw him saying unto me, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death, and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. And they gave him audience unto his word, and then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. As I read these verses, I instantly, my mind gravitates to the power of God. How it is only God who can take a man like Saul and turn him into Paul. That is the true testimony of the power of God. It is the power of God that created this world by His spoken word in Genesis 1. It is the power of God by His spoken word that brought Lazarus out of that grave years ago. It is by the power of God in His word that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, rose victoriously from the dead. And it is by the power of God in His Word that He can take any wretched lost sinner and transform him into a sanctified saint. I will point others to God's power because it is the greatest reality. It is the greatest reality this world has ever seen. You ever, you ever listen to philosophers? The philosophers will try to say, well, are you really alive? Are you really, really alive? Are you really, really, really alive? Oh, I know what you're going to say next, Mr. Sir. Are you really, 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 really alive? <laughs> there is no reality like the power of God. I also wrote on this. I will point others to God's power because it is the greatest evidence for Christianity. A life that's transformed like Paul's could not be accomplished any other way. Yes, I believe that somebody could have enough discipline to lay down the bottle, to lay aside the drugs, to lay aside an immoral lifestyle. Sure, you could have the self-discipline, but I'm talking about an eternal transformation. That power can only come through Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 about the power of his resurrection, of Jesus' resurrection. And that's the greatest evidence the world has ever seen for this book right here. You see, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, I surely wouldn't be standing here and you surely wouldn't be sitting there. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then we could throw the whole canon of this book out the window. But since he did rise from the grave and had over 500 witnesses, I remind you, bearing testimony 
in similar fashion, not contradicting any, any others, we read about how it points people to Jesus Christ. God's power. I also wrote on this. I will point others to God's power because it's the greatest sovereign authority. You know, we, we get so intimidated by the book of Revelation sometimes. But if you just read the, revela the revelation of John at the end of the New Testament, you're going to find that there's, there's some things in here that, yes, it's dealing with end times Bible prophecy, but, but, it's, but it's powerful. And, and it says this. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto death. God says in his word that the greatest divine authority is himself. He comes to live in us so that we can bear record of him and what he's done. You know, I was trying to figure out a way to conclude this sermon. And God revealed to me a verse of Scripture. In fact, that, that I believe summarizes Paul's testimony in one word, or excuse me, in one verse. And in fact, it could summarize your testimony in one verse as well. If you want to turn to Galatians chapter 2, I encourage you to. Or you can make a mental or physical note of it. Galatians chapter 2. In fact, you might even have this verse memorized. Verse 20. Out of all the verses Paul wrote in the New Testament, I believe this best summarizes clearly and concisely his testimony. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. A Christian testimony points people to the power of God. Are you pointing people to God's power when you share your faith? A Christian testimony points people to the Word of God. Are you pointing people to the Word of God when you share your faith? And a Christian testimony points people to the Son of God. Are you pointing people to Jesus Christ when you share your faith? Somebody testify about His goodness in your life. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith, 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.